0: Uh, We're going to continue our sermon series this evening on a strange way to save the world. Uh, Pastor Kevin did a fantastic job introducing us to the strangeness of this amazing story that we're all part of, Um, and we're just going to continue to think a little bit about that um, this evening, and we're going to kind of focus on it in a few different ways. So let's pray, and we'll get started with our worship through the study of God's Word. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together, to actually just thank you for the chance to be together. A year ago, we were not together, um, and I'm grateful for the ways in which, um, even as we're outside or in the Zoom room or in the room physically, we have found ways in the last year to maintain connection with you and with this community, and we're just deeply grateful to be together in all of the ways that you've brought us together through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask right now that you would help us to settle um, in the midst of busyness and rushing around and getting here in rain or traffic or seeing the, the sunset and feeling a little bit like in the midst of all the moments. God, we pray that you would settle us into this moment right now become aware of your presence and the ways in which you are alive and at work in our midst. Awaken us anew to your story and to the story of this season, and we ask, Jesus, that you would do all of this through your holy name. Amen. All right. So the title of our sermon tonight is Be Amazed, and I'm just going to let you know that Pastor Kevin and I had a miscommunication, so it's not shepherds tonight, although they will make an appearance, Um, but we're just going to be focusing on really the wonder and the amazement and the awe that we find in this story. I love the Christmas season. I like all the stuff. I'm really into all this stuff. Um, I'm a December birthday, so I get to always have everybody decorate their house in awareness of my arrival into the world. Um, Joking, of course. But I love how it feels a bit family-oriented. My grandparents were depression kids, and we had enough when I was growing up. So Christmas was a time when there was like a celebration of the fact that they had enough and that they had enough to bless others and to bless their own family. And it did get ridiculous at times. And that was kind of their love language. But as a kid, man, it was awesome. Uh, We would drive, my my parents and I, my sister and I, we all lived up in Santa Rosa. So we would drive Christmas Eve afternoon-ish. And in my family tradition growing up, we uh, opened presents Christmas night, uh, Christmas Eve night. Santa came twice. Uh, Christmas Eve night for like the big stuff and then would just swing back by and drop stuff off in the stockings on Sunday morning. My grandfather would um, delight in this ritual and tradition. And we would often try to spy Santa in the sky because they lived right near the San Francisco airport. So there were a lot of sightings of uh, Rudolph going by like, that's a red light, that's a red light, that's a red light. Look how fast he goes, right? Uh, I loved all of that growing up, and and I still like it a lot. Um, I know we just came back from the climate conference, and I'm trying to do a lot of things to green my practices and light, but to be fair, my electrical bill after December will be high because I have upped the ante in the neighborhood and added an inflatable llama That's very Christmasy and some additional light. I like it. I like it so much. And I think even in these past couple of years in the midst of pandemic and chaos and challenges, it seemed in some ways almost more important. Not that it's really important, but just to like throw as much light out as we could um, and to find the things that brought comfort. And I love all that stuff. I, I'm actually never a pumpkin spice latte type person. Like, fall can come and go as far as I'm concerned. I'm waiting for the eggnog. So all of that is happy for me. And as Christians, then I think I've wrestled a bit, though, with that commercialization. I've wrestled a bit with how do we manage this, um, going and living and studying in Israel. And you're like, oh, it doesn't look anything like that. Like This is much more a Christmas story that we've created for Northern Europeans (laughs) and North Americans. And it's just very different. So when we focused in on the Jesus part of the story, sometimes I don't actually know how to really reconcile that into the commercialization of the season and I've tried to sort of separate them sometimes like this is just what we do in North America in December like this is just this fun thing that we're going to do and separate we'll have this Jesus conversation or sometimes I'm like no Jesus has to be you know Jesus is the reason for the season kind of thing like front and center and put it all there but then then sometimes some of it is jarring for me for example the other night we took the kids to Great America for the Winterfest, and we saw like the Snoopy sort of on ice thing, and um, I wish I could, I probably should have shown you the video clip of what happened, but um, the, you know, Charlie Brown, like lights please, and Linus comes out with his blanket, and he tells the whole real reason for Christmas, it's beautiful. Right before that, there had been um, some uh, recreations of some songs like Love Shack by the B-52s, um, which become like toy, toy sack. And then there was, um, an MC hammer homage at one point. And, and it was, like, <laughs> can't, I don't, know, I was like, can't stuff this. I don't know. There were some things happening and I was like, just leaning into Phoebe going, there's a lot of bottom wiggling happening in this concert. When Linus came on and was like, lights, please. There were shepherds out. And I was like, Oh, it's, that's jarring. It's jarring to have the Jesus story show up right in the middle of, uh, the B-52s. So um, I get the tension with all of that. And I think when I try to talk about the story with my kid, it is even more jarring sometimes. No, nobody having this story challenge. So this is, I know it's what she used to look like. Now she's so big. Uh, This is my home church that I grew up in. I was always decked out just for Christmas. Beautiful. All the ornaments meant something. You could learn all your Greek letters by looking at the ornaments and figuring out all the signs. And um, and this is the cry room where they put you if you're noisy. Uh, and so, you know, as we're there, I can kind of start to share a little bit about Christmas morning, the story. And and my church in the narthex, which is a fancy Lutheran word for lobby, um, no? Lobby? Narthex? You guys got it? Okay. Um, they had a sort of a, a really beautiful nativity scene that is so pretty, right? Pretty and fancy. And, and so she was like, oh, hi, and talking to wise men and shepherds and animals. And it's, it's so pretty. And the way in which we often tell this story is very G-rated. It's so pretty. And it doesn't carry scandal. It just is beautiful. And then separate, we can talk about, you know, gift giving and charitable works of the St. Nicholas story and all of those kinds of things. But when we turn to the text and we actually read the story and see if, because we're so accustomed to the story and it comes with all the things that we get excited about and the smells and the sights and the hopes and all that, for many of us, for others of us, it might be a very hard time of year. But when we get there, we kind of just go, yeah, yeah, I get it. Like shepherds, Jesus, like Mary, Joseph, Jesus, donkey, check. But let's read it a little bit together and see if we can encounter anew. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. This is from Matthew. When his his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. I don't know about you, but that involves a lot of explanation to a five-year-old. Or a seven-year-old. Immediately. No? Why does that... What is the problem? Right? Immediately you are directly put into... Uh, either stork category or birds and bees and is not a male. like immediately you are having a conversation with your child about how children typically come into the world and how this child is not going to come into the world in that typical way. And right away, it sounds a bit scandalous too, doesn't it? I mean, Joseph certainly is not on board at this point. Joseph is very well aware that this was not the agreement that the two households, the two families, the fathers of Joseph and the father of Mary, had agreed to at the betrothal time. And you can't just change and shift that arrangement around. And part of the agreement that we can see through other contracts in the, in the time of Israel 2,000 years ago is that there would be an expectation that the woman was pure never talk about it with the boys. This should not surprise any of us. Um, So the woman has to be pure, right? Um, Virginal. This is a conversation I've not, you know, like, how do we have this conversation with my daughter? And so that is the expectation. And if upon the marriage or the betrothal or just in all leading up to it it is found that she was not, then the soon-to-be husband and his family had the right to take all of the property from the other family. So Joseph's pretty righteous here because he's aware that he is due basically, you know, some sort of reparations for the fact that she is not as pure as the driven snow in his understanding. And yet he's decided to just divorce her quietly so as to not put the families through that kind of impact and shame. That's... That's a move, right? That's that's an incredible, amazing moment. Now, in this moment, Joseph believes what all people 2,000 years ago and today would believe, which is that there is a physical process to somebody getting pregnant and you don't just immaculately conceive. That is not something that Joseph had encountered nor anybody else was prepared for. It just was not on his radar. The angel has shown up right? To Mary. Hey, you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a child. You'll name him Jesus. And Joseph's like, what? No way. Pregnant Lego Mary is shocking to Joseph. It reminds me of other stories in our Bible when men have been very deeply surprised by the events that have occurred. The one specifically I'm thinking of is when Jacob is trying to marry Rachel and Laban sneaks in Leah instead. And the morning in in the Hebrew it says that when they woke up, Jacob looks over and rolls over expecting to see Rachel. There's a whole other conversation on how he didn't notice till that point, but that's fine. Um, so Lole looks over and in the Hebrew and it says, "Hine Leah, behold, Hine Leah, like that's just it. Just and behold, Leah, and." Jacob runs to Levon and says, Mazotasitali, what have you done to me? Like, this is a shock, right? And I feel like every time I see this particular Lego thing, I feel like Joseph's like, Mazotasitali, like, what did you do to me? We had an agreement. Our parents shook on it. There have been no doubt promises made and bride prices figured out and sorted. What have you done to me? What is this happening? I'll just... The best thing I can do is put you away quietly. But just when Joseph had resolved to do this, Matthew continues on, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I love that every time an angel shows up, it starts with, do not be afraid. Why do you think that is? I guess they're scary, right? Like, I don't walk into the house and go, hey, Kevin, don't be afraid, right? Like, it's not my first, my first entree. If we go out and we meet for coffee, I'm like, hi, don't be afraid. It's not your first reaction to me, to, I hope, to God, please, that you're afraid, right? So when these angels show up, they have to be like, don't freak out. Like, that's the first way. Don't be afraid. Don't freak out. Just sit tight. Sit tight, everybody. Sit tight. Hold on for a second. And every time an angel says this, in my head... It's something's gonna happen, music. You guys know about something's gonna happen, music? My, when my, I was growing up, we'd be watching sort of a scary movie, and my dad would lean over, you know, right at the like, done it, dun it, right? And he's like, something's gonna happen. Something's gonna happen, music. This is something's gonna happen, music. The do not be afraid. Every time the angel shows up, that's something's gonna happen, music. Do not be afraid. And the thing that's gonna happen is actually something amazing. Every time we hear the phrase, do not be afraid, the message that follows is one that also brings amazement. Don't freak out. This is going to be awesome. It's not only do not be afraid. That's part of it for sure. But it's also get ready to be amazed because God is up to something. God is going to do something. Do not be afraid. Let's pivot instead and move from fear to awe And amazement. I think this is the invitation of God's messengers to a whole bunch of different folks at different times throughout our biblical history. By the way, I also think the reason why the angels have to say don't be afraid is because I think that they look weird. I mean, I've never seen one, but when you think about how Ezekiel describes them, if you want to put an angel on your tree, the best representation would be one with like 62 wings and 45 eyeballs. And you stick that up there, and that'll be how the Bible often describes angels. No? You don't know this? It's a, I mean, Ezekiel's description of an angel is pretty intense. So just have like when you draw it, you don't have to draw the pretty girl with the long hair. By the way, it's never a woman in the Bible. Um, And you don't have to draw those like really lovely wings and then the flowing gown, right? Just draw wings and eyeballs. You're set. So I think if you at least picture in your head something beyond Ezekiel's description, beyond his understanding and imagination, then the do not be afraid makes some sense. Even if you have like, you know, it's Gabriel here in this point, in this story, that's going to be showing up to people and telling them all this amazing good news. And also Gabriel gets mad at one point when, and it's really funny in Luke, because Zachariah is told that his old wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a baby and he's to name him John. And Zachariah's like, how do I know this is going to happen? And Gabriel's like, you know what? I'm Gabriel and I go back and forth and I spit I'm like, You don't get to talk for nine months. How about that? How about that, Zechariah? And that's maybe another reason to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't freak out. I have a lot of power and I can make your life change like that. So there's a lot of that. Don't be afraid. But, and as Zechariah learned too, be amazed. So continues on in Matthew. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I just want to, there's a lot of people who are going to see like Joseph should have known it was going to happen. No, he should not have. This is not clear how that's about to happen. It doesn't say, and this will happen because an angel will show up and an angel's going to say this and then she'll be like, oh, okay, may it be to me as you have said. And then all of a sudden, pregnant. Like there's no explanation here. And also there's a great message that Pastor Omer gave several years back on trying to understand Isaiah and other prophetic passages and understanding for the time of the moment and Virgin can also mean young woman. There's a lot of things. There's no clear explanation here that Joseph should have just been right on board. The fact that he gets on board as quickly as he does is actually quite amazing. Because he knew what we know, which is that this is not a typical story. This is not how typically women become pregnant. Well, Joseph wakes from the sleep, and he does as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. Do not be afraid. This message is also given to Mary in the Luke version of our nativity story, right? The angel shows up to Mary and says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I think Mary was afraid, and I don't think she stopped being afraid at that moment because he told her to stop being afraid. I think that that fear, the same for Joseph, by the way, Stayed. Because what God's asking them to do is not to overcome one moment of fear or one moment of doubt. They're going to have to engage in something that is going to be a constant, everyday test of their faith. And their belief that what God is doing in them is deeply important to the history of the world. That is hard work. I mean, Joseph signing up to be the father of somebody who will always be questioned as to whether or not he's actually the father. And you can hear these echoes in our Gospels, can't you? Joseph gets, I mean, you can hear it says things like, um, we, they will, the religious leaders will say to Jesus, we have Abraham as our father, who's your father. That's a nice hit. Or isn't this Mary's son? Not Joseph's son, Mary's son. So Mary, Joseph, Jesus, their families are all going to have to live with the scandal of this amazing story for the remainder of their lives. It's not just one moment of don't be afraid. It is a constant. Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. I'm going to ask you to do this really beautiful and hard thing. But guess what? As you pivot from fear, I'm praying that you'll pivot to amazement because something is going to happen. And Mary seems to do that quite well. Incredibly so. She starts quoting text and scripture. She's like prophetic in the whole thing. It's amazing. Go and read Mary's Magnificat. And as you do so, hold in tension the fact that she is likely deeply scared and afraid in spite of the angel telling her to not be and still is holding amazement and wonder and awe. Now, the shepherds get something similar, right? They're out in their fields, according to Luke, and they're there, and then all of a sudden crazy things start happening, and the region where shepherds living in the fields keeping watch of their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, For see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And so they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. And when they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them do not be afraid when you see the hard thing, the big God ask in your life. Start moving to amazement and awe that in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of challenging ask, God is at work. I think when we tell this Jesus story, we forget how hard it must have been. We forget how difficult it would be to hear news like this and how frightening it truly would be. We love to these beautiful illustrations we have of mother and son, of Mary looking so, like, I love this image. She looks like she just gets it and knows. And I think she often did. It says she treasured up things in her heart. She knew these things. I also think she was afraid. And I think she had good reason to be afraid. If we continue reading in Matthew chapter two, we're going to read the very first lines of Matthew chapter two that would have struck fear in the hearts of all listeners and hearers of the day and of the day of Jesus when this was happening, right? In the time of King Herod, right there, everyone's like, oh no, that guy's bad. I am afraid of him. I'm afraid of what he can do. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who's been born King of the Jews? For we have observed his star as it's rising and have come to pay him homage. And when King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem, not amazed, frightened, right? And all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet and you, Bethlehem they set out and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped or the place where the child was. And just a quick note that if your beautiful nativity scene has the wise men at it and baby, baby Jesus, um, they don't get to show up yet. Okay. Jesus has been born and then they show up. So give them a week or two into January and then you can put your wise men out. Um, and when they saw that, the star had stopped. They were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid an homage. And then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream, probably with like the do not be afraid entry again, um, not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. So, in the midst of stable work and cleanup, Joseph and Mary are there with the son. And then after the angel, after they had left, an angel of the Lord then appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. They have reason to be afraid. And Joseph got up and took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt, I have called my son. Now this makes Herod so mad. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. And then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This part of our story is not included. In most Christmas scenes. This is so much easier to tell. It was pretty, and there was this moment, and the angels were there, and there was singing and choir. Isn't it so lovely? But you and I all know, truth be told, this is at least a PG-13 story that I'm telling you tonight. At least. And I don't know how you tell that story to this person. It's hard. It's really hard to say, oh, and then there was a murderous king and he went out and tried to kill all the children in Bethlehem. I think when the angels show up and they say, do not be afraid, it's not just because the angel is strong and mighty or has power, could shut the mouth of a priest for nine months, or maybe has lots of wings and eyeballs or whatever it is. I think it is also because there is a lot to fear in the world in which they live. And what God is asking them to do will make them more vulnerable to those raging evil powers. And yet God still shows up in those moments of empire of horrors that we cannot even understand and says, Do not be afraid. I'm asking you to pivot from fear to amazement and awe as to what God is about to do. It's a crazy story, is it not? Years ago when I was living in Jerusalem, just outside the old city, about a 15-minute walk, I became friends with some really wonderful young Israelis that now they're all, you know, married and have children of their own because it's been a long time ago that this all happened. And when they found out I was a pastor, they were confused. Because the only Christians they had ever even seen from a distance, because in Israel, it's like less than 2% of the population is Christian. So it's not something you can encounter on a regular basis. The only Christians they'd ever conceived and seen were in the old city. And in the old city, the Christians that you can see are the people who dress differently than the Muslims and the Jews. So it's like you have the Jewish quarter, you have the Muslim quarter, and you have the Christian quarter and the Armenian quarter, which is also a Christian quarter. And the Christians as they go, and the leaders as they go to and from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and the different churches in the Old City, they're wearing all black, um, they're all men, and they often have, you know, a lot of the beautiful traditional things that come with those traditions, whether it's the Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church or um, Ethiopian Church, Armenian Church, etc. So when I met these friends, they were like, you're a Christian. Okay, but you're a pastor. And I'm like, right. And they're like, but you don't wear all black. I'm like, yeah, I know. And they're like, and you're not a man. I'm like, I know. Shocking. So we would start to have these conversations. And as we were having these conversations, and there were lots of jokes like, you know, I, I wish my rabbi <laughs> looked like your pastor. Those kinds of jokes. Um, as we would just sit and have those conversations, they would also ask questions about what I believed. And so they said, well, can you explain Jesus. Like, I get this, you know, God of Israel thing. We share that in common. But Jesus? And what's this Christmas story? And how does that? I mean, just complete, no no knowledge at all, blank slate. And so I started to explain it. So, well, what we believe is that there was this woman who was very faithful. And then the Holy Spirit came upon her, and she got pregnant. She did not have sex. She got pregnant with the Holy Spirit, conceived. And she conceived God wrapped up in flesh, that God was going to come dwell among us. That's what John tells us. And I proceeded to share this story. And as I shared it, I could see registering on their face that they thought I was nuts. Over and over again, each thing. And I'm like, and then what happened? And I'm like, so then, right? right? And I just kept telling this story I just told you, the story that we've read, the story that, that is going to be sung in Christmas carols on 96.5, 24 hours a day for the next five, that story. I told them the story that we just walk around and see the nativity scene at Target and keep walking like it's normal. I told them the story that we all act as though it is the most normal thing we've ever heard of in our lives. And it struck me at the moment as I was trying to share this beautiful good news that God has come and dwelt among us. And that that God scandalously chose this young woman to carry God's self into the world, right? And that and that God asked a man to believe that she had not been unfaithful, but instead this was a miracle by God. And this has been the promise fulfillment of all the promises. As I was like, try to explain all this, I realized in that moment that they understood the Christmas story better than I did. Because they understood the scandal they understood that it was awe-invoking, that it was amazing, almost unbelievable that God would do this. And they kept saying, why? Why would God do that? And I kept trying to explain it. And of course, ultimately, this is also a place of faith and experience. You know, where we left was that just that God so loved the world that God gave God's only son, that, that we could learn how to live, that we could follow him, that we could see him suffer for us, with us. Forgive us of all things and give us full and new life. This is what we believe and you're right, it's scandalous and um, sometimes a little scary and it should help us pivot to amazement. That this story that starts with do not be afraid gets to be followed up with events that should amaze us. And cause us to sit down, jaws dropped, and just think, wow. God would do that for you and me. That God would wrap up God's self. And say, this is my son, and I'm going to entrust this human family to raise up Jesus. I'm going to entrust this broken world to carry this story forward. And I'm going to ask that you all move to amazement regarding it. You know, when those angels show up to the shepherds, they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among people of goodwill. I mean, this is what our Christmas story is. It, it moves us from fear to amazement that the shepherds and the angels and Mary and Joseph and Jesus and Bethlehem, even as they sat under the shadow of a murderous king, could sit and say, we believe that this birth of this Messiah is goodwill and good news to all. And this is amazing. And we have hope even in dark, difficult moments, that God is at work in this world and doing amazing things, even as we're afraid. So tonight, as we invite the worship band back up and as we'll move to a place of communion, I'd like to give us all a few moments to ask the question, what are we afraid of right now? What is it that is keeping us up at night? Causing us to have such deep fear and concern. What is it that we need to ask Jesus to move us from a place of fear instead to a place of awe and amazement. And true faith and faithfulness to believe that God is at work in the things that seem foolish to all. In the things that seem foolish to us. In the things that seem scandalous. In even the difficult, difficult moments in our world, that God is at work there, and that we're invited to move to a place of fear, to awe and wonder, and to try to start to look at the ways in which the light is breaking through the cracks in our world and starting to shine very, very brightly. we pray right now that you would meet us right where we are with our fear and that as we hold tight to those fears and anxieties and concerns and worries we ask that you would meet us in those places that you would comfort us that you would compassionately hold us tight and that we would be able to ask you to hold those fears and anxieties and worries for us and help us move from fear to amazement. Jesus, we do not want to be afraid. Even as we see horrors and terrors and destruction in our life or in front of us or in our homes and around the world, we want to choose awe and amazement in you, that you are at work in this world and in us. We ask that you pour out through the power of your Holy Spirit hope into each of our hearts. We ask that you would help us to move from a place of fear to awe and wonder. And we ask, us, we ask Jesus that you would help us hold all of those spaces and that you would meet us in all of those places that we would not feel any shame or condemnation for the worries and the concerns that we have, Jesus they're normal and understandable and we have good reason to fear we are asking Jesus that you help us turn our focus and our gaze on you and that we would start to move towards awe and amazement at your work in us through us and in this world even as we fear We ask all of this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed, and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All are welcome at this table.